I do have a question for you as somebody uh, higher level. What level of instruction would you say you've received on the art of interviewing patients in a medical interview process? Not really a lot more than when I was a paramedic. I think obtaining the HPI and the physical exam are not a lot different now than when I was a paramedic, because that's the stuff I was actually pretty good at as a PA. Yeah. The parts I struggled with more were, okay, we have the HPI, we have the physical exam, now I need to figure out what I need to order to get this work up, and then you know, after that, now what do we do with all these results? Do we need to admit this patient? Are they safe to go home? And that's a lot more of the nuance I think I had to learn as a PA, but interviewing the patient, I think, is, is always tricky, you know, even on the ambulance where you have a little bit more time on scene to get the history than I do in the ER where I kind of need to be in and out of, you know, rooms pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I think it just kind of comes with experience. I mean, in my mind, you start with the chief complaint, like chest pain, and first of all, that might be the call information. Is that actually what the patient called? I think you got to determine that when you first get on yep. scene is, what did you call for? In your own words, like what's the subjective thing you're feeling today? And then not trying to like extrapolate and put in your own words what you think their chief complaint is. Because I will see crews do that sometimes oh, yeah. is, I really want to know what the patient said. You know, what symptom made them call the ambulance? And then if it's chest pain, I got to go down that track. Have you had heart attacks before? When did this pain start? You know, the whole OPQRST, um, you know, I typically go down and get the answers to all those questions and then try to get relevant history, relevant meds like blood thinners. And, um, you know, if I'm going to give them meds, I make sure they're not allergic to it. But that's kind of how I go about a patient interaction, you know, and it's, it's harder on the ambulance in some ways because you get all this done, you get a 12 lead, things are looking okay, and now you kind of have to decide you know, does this patient want to go in? Do I want to talk this patient into going in? And um, chest pain is always that tricky one because they probably should come in, you know, unless yeah. they're 16 years old with no concerning exam findings. I mean, we have 20-year-olds that have heart attacks now, so it's always like, you know, an EKG that's normal isn't really like 100% slam dunk that this isn't ACS all the time anymore. And so um, that's always hard, you know, because that's kind of the disposition on the ambulances. Okay, we've got our 12 lead, we've got your blood sugar, you've got your vitals, you know, we have the whole story here. Now we got to figure out what to do from here. And I think that's, you know, something that the fire department, especially in our region, kind of does more because they're typically on scene um, and they're used to like kind of directing the call of like, hey, we've got all this. Should we say, ah, I think you're okay to stay home, which is sometimes okay to say. Yeah. Um, it's certainly higher liability to do a refusal and say this patient doesn't want to come in, you know, it's lower liability just to transport them to the ER where we can do more definitive lab work to prove they're not dying. No. Um, but I think that's kind of the trick is, you know, figuring out that disposition. And that's what new people struggle with, you know, your new EMT and new paramedic. I can remember trying to like navigate a call as a new EMT and I would like ask the patient questions and then you just kind of keep asking them questions and keep asking them questions and like, well, where, what do we do next? Well, you got to figure out, does this patient need to go to the hospital? How are they getting there? Do they have to go with you? Do you need to talk them into going? Yeah. You know, and so I think it's a little bit more, you know, it comes with time, and you kind of see how the call is supposed to go based on seeing previous calls. But I don't know if that's that's a long-winded way to answer your question. But No, I, I think it's very full. Um, something I always found interesting was I received more 
class time training in massage therapy school about the interview process than I did in my entire EMS career. Mm. Now, there were some different things that the operation I currently work at had in the Mark Homan days of circuitous thought process and some of these assessment finding things, but uh, really digging into um, intentional use of your closed-ended, open-ended questions, mm -hmm. like the, the real practical side of things, and then also like your power differentials, your tone usages, your uh, scene overall presences, how you, you maintain body presence in a room, mm -hmm. um, your body language that we academically will talk a lot about it, mm -hmm. but like practical side, uh, applicable side of things, I have never really seen a whole lot in EMS as far yeah. as these are good ways to employ these tools, these are good ways to really apply. Um, the operation I'm currently with, we've got a long uh, training process in the field and that gives the FTO more time to train these things, but does the FTO know these things? Yeah, can, yeah, they, yeah. can they express these things? Yeah. And that's always kind of like a... I, something I've seen wanting at EMS is a good thorough process of, okay, not only is this your, your questions that you're asking and the different things you're learning to ask, but this is, these are some of the better ways to interact with your patient to uh, use verbiage that they're going to tune in or understand mm -hmm. with, um, yeah. how to change your approach. Because sometimes everybody's got a, a semi-aggressive or somebody that's just frustrated and it, it's going nowhere and you got to change tack. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, I'll, I'll take a look at an LT and just be like, eh, eh. it's like my time to tap in on, right. I'm going to take this from yeah. a different angle or something yeah. like that. I think you make good points there, especially if the FTO is not good at these things themselves. You know, you're, you really learn by watching and learn by doing, I think, in EMS. And so we we tend to pass down these bad habits, or if you're not oh, yeah. if you're not good at patient interviews, or you come off very aggressive and you know very direct, instead of kind of having some you know more compassion, I guess, in your tone of voice and your body language, that gets passed on to the new EMT that's learning how to talk to people, and they think, well, we need to be aggressive, and it's cool not to be compassionate, and um, just keeping this case in mind, I mean, it really matters how you come across to people. Um, and it really matters for patient outcomes. So I think you're never, you're never wrong to just assume that you need to treat the patient with respect and with compassion. And um, those things will protect you even if your medicine's not always the best. Because truthfully, those things matter more to the patient than great evidence-based medicine. You know, I've talked in a couple episodes where, you know, evidence-based medicine should be our number one, right? We should be taking really good care of patients, saving their lives if they need something critical done. Like that should be always top of mind but the patient doesn't care about any of that stuff. I mean, they care more how you treated them and that they felt they were actually heard. And so a big source of patient complaints is like, well, I did really good medicine, but it's how you treated the patient, you know, and they're gonna be, you know, more apt to complain about you or even to sue you if they felt like you didn't take care of them. I mean, you can do bad medicine and if you treated the patient well and they feel like they were cared for, they're probably not gonna be as litigious, um, you know, but. Obviously, I mean, good medicine needs to be number one, but I think a close second is we're in this for the patient and for people, and so we need to actually make sure we're demonstrating that compassion and respect for other people. I come at it from a little bit of the Patch Adams side of things where I, I will frequently tell people, as far as your interactions, patients are people first, 
patient second. But that is, after that, we, we've got to do the good medicine, but during your interactions, you have to think of them as a person, yeah. not just a, a question mark, okay, algorithmic and, and differential process, where am I at with this? It's, yeah. This is a person, good explanation, good conversation with things. Yeah. Um, that's always going to lead you to the better people medicine, yeah. so to speak. Casey Shifflin and I kind of talked about that sympathy versus empathy thing. Yeah. Like, yes, you need to have compassion and treat them with respect, but also not get so involved in their lives that you're taking all that emotion home with you too. You know, a lot of it's remaining distant and seeing them as a patient while also, you know, conveying compassion and not not taking their load on your own shoulders, but, but you know, making sure they feel cared for. And that, that's an art form. I mean, that's really difficult and that it is. a lot of that's really hard to teach, but I think, you know, it's incumbent on our FTOs, the, the paramedics that are training the new people and the EMTs that are training the new people have to demonstrate that because it's not it's not something you really you don't learn it in school you know they're busy teaching you differentials and treatments and you know they have a whole bunch of other stuff to teach you that that stuff does get lost and it's unfortunate but you know you learn these things with experience and probably buy some bad patient interactions and hopefully the more senior folks can pass it on to the newer folks yeah words of wisdom things to listen to Generally, because they've been there, done that, made that mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at people like like Casey Shiflett and kind of see how he treats patients on scene, you know. I think that's it probably speaks volumes, and it speaks to who Casey is as a person as opposed to who the patient is, you know. It'd be interesting to see Casey interact with a belligerent patient and see how he interacts with them and de-escalates, you know. It, it took me a long time to really understand one of my first partners in this system. I took way too many calls. I, I didn't really, I came from a full ALS system. I didn't understand what our EMTs could do sure. and, and what they could handle. And eventually it came to a point where the litmus that I needed to understand was, is my partner capable of giving a good care and good report for this patient? Is yeah. he able to give a comprehensive and really understanding what of what was going on with the patient? And at that point I started handing them everything. Yeah, yeah. And I started taking all of the drunks because I love drunk patients. They're so much fun. <laughs> I, cause you, you, you just do your differential, you make sure nothing else is going on. And then it's just like, Hey man, what's up? Right. How you doing? Cool. Right. Like you get so far along and it's like, well, this is the most relaxed call I'm going to have all day. Right. Yeah. And it's, I remember I had a patient that, um, we were called on SI and PD was all kind of staged back and we all got there about the same time. And I just walked right up and sat next to him on the railroad tie that he was sitting. I was like, hey man, how you doing? 350, big dude. And I'd been talking to him and I'd been trying to talk to him about, oh, these are the life problems and these are the different things. And we were put in a position in Missouri that, uh, several people filled out affidavits on him that he needed to go in for assessment because at that point he was just drunk like we would do uh uh ec hold at most on this guy here mm. and i realized kind of like you're talking about the over investment of the conversation and the over empathy conversations that i was getting way too into the weeds on a hey you just got to focus on these things i was talking to the drunk wall he wasn't going to remember it <laughs> darn thing i said <laughs> But 
you got to run into a few of those situations where you're you're running into and you're you're like you're investing this stuff and objectively say, okay, I'm I'm glad and happy that I did that, but was that actually something that was going to be fruitful for the patient? Sure. And is that and it's that sometimes you're going to be right and sometimes you're going to be wrong. Yeah. Or at least don't you can't do it every time, you know, or yeah. else it will kind of burn you out, but you know, certainly a lot of patients, especially if you see a family member in them or you see yourself in them or similar scenarios, I mean, you're not, you're going to can't help but get a little emotionally involved, but yeah. you know, I think as long as you're not doing it all the time, it's not detrimental. And but I mean, look at your body language on that patient, you know, you're sitting next to him, talking to him calmly. You're not walking up, standing in front of him, like, you know, crews often do. That's the approach is you stand in front of the patient you have your arms crossed like, what are we here for? And then, you know, that doesn't get a patient to open up, especially when you're dealing with alcohol oh, or SI yeah. or psychiatric stuff. You can't approach them with that body language because they all pick up on that stuff really well, you know, and um, it doesn't de-escalate them at all. I know it's put a few crews on a little bit of a, what the heck is this guy? I have no problem walking into somebody's house and just sitting on the couch next to them. It's like, so these, that's what these guys are saying. Uh, when I say this back, is it different from what they're saying right. or what? Um, I really love using like reflective and and interpreter summarization processes with mm -hmm. interviewing people because then you can really get into some of the the details of no, it was in this or oh, well that makes yeah. that makes a difference. Okay. Yeah, and I don't think paramedics do that enough because a lot of times the story that they give me in the ER is very different than the one the patient told them. But sometimes it's you're not summarizing you're not listening to understand you're just listening to do we need to go to the hospital or not you know yeah. what's mainly going on here and they tend to interpret their own kind of analysis of what the patient said and instead of you know conveying what the patient actually said they interpret they extrapolate and the story i get from the patient can be a lot different whereas i feel like if you use, the, use those techniques of like summarizing what the patient said where they can correct you or not correct you you get just a lot more accurate story one of the best processes you get them in the back of the ambulance Okay, so this is everything we heard on the scene. I'm gonna try and tell it in order. You let me know if I got anything out of order, if I got any details wrong. Yeah. And you say that whole thing and bam, you've just practiced your report to the hospital on Pulsera radio. Yep. And you're also formulating your whole concept for your report. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to try and pass on is if you do this, your process and your handoff will be so much smoother. You won't right. be doing that and um, um, the non sequiturs, the, mm -hmm. the, the stumbly verbiage. If you've already practiced it with the patient once, you've, you've done your, your dry run. Yeah. And you come a lot, you come across a lot more professional, I think. And, you know, on that same kind of uh, topic, if you're bringing a patient and you're telling me all the reasons why you don't think they're dying and all the reasons why, let me start that over. When you bring in a patient and you're writing them off, you know, mm -hmm. and telling me all the reasons why you don't think there's anything wrong with them and why we should write them off too, that just comes across as unprofessional. You know, it's, it's easy to do that. We're all thinking that all of us are great at assuming someone's not dying because that's the majority of the people we see, but it's harder to come across objective and professional, mm -hmm. you know, in a patient that you don't think you need to do it brought in by ambulance. And, and sometimes those are, the, those are the patients that'll burn you and actually have something going on and the crews will come back later and we're like, oh yeah, it's, you know, not an anxiety attack, it's a PE, you know, and <laughs> those, those cases happen, you know, and it's hard because the crews don't always get the good follow-up, um, you know, and we're biased because I see those cases, you know, where, you know, a lot of times anxiety is just anxiety, but sometimes it's a PE and, um, 
you know, so I think you can never go wrong by at least being objective and professional and respectful and and all that kind of that kind of stuff. I think the crews that do it really well are the ones that can give a full report in front of the patient that they think isn't really going to die, that you know they think is here for anxiety attack or whatever, and they can give a full objective report in front of the patient, and the patient doesn't say anything because it was respectful and professional, and they actually felt like objective. their complaint was heard. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I would try to limit the the outside the the hallway conversations to just the most contentious kind of things. But if you don't feel like you can put it in a report, should you really be saying it? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you don't feel like you can document this on paper, you know, should you be saying it to the provider, you know? Yep. And if, you know, if you have a bunch of great ammo for why this patient's just drunk, tell me the objective stuff you saw on scene. Tell me about the empty beer cans. Tell me about their slurred speech, whatever. But you know, at least have some objective from data. Three hours before. <laughs> right. Right. That's all stuff we can't get. And so I want that information, but it can be conveyed in a respectful and objective yeah. manner, you know. And most of our crews are great about it, you know. Um, we work in a really good environment where this case would not happen here. I, I'm sure about that, right? I mean, I think the the crews that I work with and the people I work with, I don't see this happening here, but I think it's you know, something we should all watch and kind of examine in ourselves. Have oh, I yeah. ever been at that point? Have I ever treated a patient like that? Would I ever sink to that level? And just kind of use it as kind of a cautionary tale that this happens and there's probably crews that are at that point nationwide right now and they need to realize, you know, this is not how we treat people and this isn't how we conduct ourselves. If, if it was your, your brother that is struggling with alcoholism, is this how you would want him treated? Right. Yeah, exactly. You might be frustrated at him, but is that how you would want him treated? Right. I think I joked before with the line of the uniform is more than just the clothes that you wear. It's it's your your behavior, your conduct, your your comportment on scene and how you embody being a empathetic person. It's how you conduct yourself in a manner that shows and displays that you're listening and interpreting and and there to be an advocate for the patient. Mm -hmm. We always talk about the, the patient advocacy, but that I don't want to just treat and talk to you. I want to educate you about what we're seeing and those kinds of things. Right. And you have to wear that. You can't just employed every now and then when you walk into steam you're, you're stepping into the shoes of, of wearing that behavior that that conduct mm -hmm. kind of summarizing it, i guess yeah anything you'd want to say to um you know i hope that a lot of your crews that you supervise watch this stuff and anything you want to say to them in particular that you haven't already said uh, i think jim buchanan goes over it great in the the eve class uh conduct yourself as if you're always on camera mm-hmm uh, you keep the jokes to the front of the truck, keep the off-color comments to the front of the truck, uh, walk in with no no assumptions, and uh, treat people as, as you would want your family to be treated. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good summary of this whole topic in general is treat people how you would treat your family members, you know, because they're somebody's family members, and that's, that's why we're in this business. So very much. Cool. Well, guys, that's the end of this episode. Um, I hope you guys found this valuable. I think this is a really good discussion and 
Um, I think Ben Taylor's a great one to have it with because um, he's very involved in this kind of stuff on a daily basis. If you guys like this content, um, please subscribe on the website. Um, right now I have a promotion going on where you can subscribe as a premium member for free for the first month um, and you'll get to see um, the entire episode instead of just a part of it. Um, so please go to the website if you want to support what I'm doing and um, subscribe. Subscribe as a premium member. Um, go to YouTube and subscribe as well. We're on all the major podcast platforms. You can listen to this there as well. Um, let me know how you guys feel about the way we're angled today. We're angled in a different angle than we have been in the past. So let me know how you guys feel about our background as opposed to the windows. We get to look out the windows from this view, so it's kind of cool. There's not a whole lot of careers where you actually get the opportunity to save someone's life. And so a lot of what I'm trying to do here is help you guys get in the right mindsets to be prepared for those opportunities. They don't come every day, but they're you know always right around the corner and every next call is potential. So be ready, have the right mindset and uh, go out there and be the best provider you can be.